Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We're the Sanabria family. I'm Danny. I'm Allie. I'm Caleb. I'm Hannah. I'm Kia. And here's a blessing from our family to yours. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. And give you peace. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Bye. Bye. sorts of adorable. If you haven't picked up on it yet, each week, that is the ironic blessing we studied last week in Numbers. It is God's blessing to his people as they wander. Because when we wander, we have to depend on God each and every day. And so they got together as a community and they recited it every single day. So they would not forget. And so each week in the series throughout the summer, different families are going to speak that over our church. You say, this is our prayer that we always forget that God is for us, that God is near, and that God provides for us. Because each week we're going to find in our text a way in which the people forget that God is their provider. And so today we're going to be in Numbers 11. If you have a Bible, you can go there. But before we open the text, we're going to do what we do on Sundays, which means we come to this place expecting God to speak. We live in such a critical culture. And when we step in these doors, when we watch online, when we listen to the worship and the reading of the scriptures today, we know that God's going to speak because he does, because he's near and he's good. And so we take off the lens of criticalness and we simply ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? What is God saying to me this morning through his text? And that takes some work on our part because our default, especially in our culture, is just to be critical and to find fault and not truth. (laughs) And so we want to make sure today that we say, God, where are you leading me? What are you teaching me? How are you good to me? Sometimes it's harder to see than others. So we're going to pray. I'm going to give you some time when I prompt you just that you might say a silent prayer asking the Spirit to speak to your spirit, and then I'll ask that you pray for me that, that, that I can communicate well how good God is this morning, like I try and do every week. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to sing. I'm thankful to worship with other people who find God worthy of our worship. I'm thankful that you provide for us. As we open the scriptures today, Spirit, teach us. Show us how good God is in ways that maybe we've overlooked or haven't seen yet. Be with us today. Take just a couple seconds, and if you're comfortable, say a silent prayer that the Holy Spirit might teach, that might guide your spirit this morning. Nicely pray for me, that I communicate accurately the truth of of this text, and that we see God's goodness this morning as we open his word. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. If you've got a Bible, we're in Numbers 11, and we're going to talk today about how God provides and how sometimes we miss God's provision because of things that we do in our life. 
Like I said at the beginning, we live in a really critical culture, but kind of a cousin to criticalness is complaining, you know? And, and look, I, I, among everyone in this room, am really, really good at complaining. I have different triggers. When I pick my kid up every day from daycare and we drive home, we get to the exit of our street. I hand my phone to my daughter and I say, do you want to FaceTime mom? And she says, yes. And then she FaceTimes my wife. And oftentimes she will look at the phone and she'll say, mom, or dad is, dad is frustrated, right? Dad is just frustrated. And why? It's because I spend most of my commute time yelling at other people all the time. We have triggers, Right? I am not a very patient driver, and my default is to complain about everything. Why are you in the left-hand lane going 60 miles an hour on 35, okay? I'm just saying, there's a common courtesy to driving on a highway, you know, especially in Texas. We complain, we complain easily. Today, we talk about the nature and the cost of complaining. In a book written by Will Bowen called A Complaint-Free World, he said the average person complains between 15 to 30 times a day. But here's the problem with that. You complain between 15 and 30 times a day when you're speaking. Research actually has shown that on average, people complain about once a minute during a typical conversation. We get together, and before you even know it, you're complaining. Is it still raining outside? It is, you know? Can you believe that coffee? I mean, there's just so many. It's just so natural to us and ingrained in us. Complaining is the default way that we communicate with and to one another. I love what Lou Holtz, former coach of Notre Dame, said, don't complain about your problems to anyone. 20% don't care, and the other 80% are glad you have them. <laughs> I was like, I want to disagree with that, but eh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so just remember that as we talk. But, but ultimately, I think we have to tackle this idea that Israel was and we are a culture of complainers. And that doesn't just weigh on us physically. I think it weighs on us spiritually. And today we find out what God says about it through his people. There's this quote that I came across this week time and time again. It says, you see, there are two kinds of people. Those who complain that rose bushes have thorns and those who rejoice that thorn bushes have roses. Today we look at the difference between the two and see where God leads us. So we pick up the story in Numbers 11. If you're tracking with us, God rescued his people from 400 years of bondage. They marched to this mountain. He communicated his expectations with his people. They sat there for a year, and then he says, guys, we're going to go. This was never your forever home. We're going to travel to the land that I promised you a great, great, great to about the 10th degree grandfather, Abraham. We're going to go get it, and we're going to go together. And so they get up, and they start Walking, and that's where verse 1 picks up. It says in Numbers 11, verse 1, When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. When the Lord heard it, his anger burned. And so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outer parts of the camp. Okay, do you know how long they made it marching before they started complaining? Three days, right? You're laughing, but I'm willing to bet we did the same thing. Three days they made it. They start marching and they start complaining. They start marching and they say, God isn't good anymore. This is desert. This isn't like it was in the mountain of Sinai. They start marching and they start complaining. And here's what we get from this text. The first three verses are kind of really just a summary of the rest of their wilderness wanderings in this first wilderness journey that's going to take them to the edge of the promised land. And it says they complained, God gets mad, and then they ask Moses to help him out because God's going to do something. And, and what we have to know before we get into some specifics of their story today is that God really doesn't like complaining. And I think there's a couple reasons why that we're going to uncover. But, but first and foremost, I don't think God likes complaining because did you know complaining literally has a negative effect on your health? <laughs> 
When you complain, it releases the stress hormone cortisol, and cortisol is the cause of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, and can even increase your chances of having a stroke. Research at Stanford University has shown that complaining, or even being complained to, for 30 minutes or more can physically damage the brain. Complaining has been found to shrink the hippocampus, the area of the brain central to problem-solving and intelligent thought, by physically peeling away neurons. So let's start here. Why does God hate complaining? Because it's killing you, and he loves you. <laughs> you know, That's just the baseline. So when his people complain, God said, I, I don't like this. My anger is burning against it. And so he sent fire to the outside of the camp. And, and this is kind of God saying, stop doing this. I'm warning you. So the people went to Moses, and they said, help. And Moses prayed, and God said, I'll stop. But the people didn't get the message. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at different ways in which the people didn't get the message and kept complaining to God. It even carries to the New Testament. God really doesn't like complaining. Paul writes, and he says in Philippians, do all things without grumbling or complaining or arguing. So God doesn't like complaining because it physically hurts you. But, but I think beyond that, there's some spiritual reasons why he calls us not to do it. Some reasons we're going to see in our text today. As followers of Jesus, we're not just not complainers because it benefits us physically. Anybody can do that. We have deeper reasons why we're called above complaining. We have more profound reasons to stop complaining. And the first we see in our text is simply complaining robs us of God's graces. Let's keep reading in our text. It says now in verse 4, the mixed multitudes who were among them craved more desirable foods. And so the Israelites wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we used to eat freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now they're dried up and there's nothing at all before us except for this manna. So the first thing they do is say, man, if only we had a more diverse food selection, all we have is this manna. Let's talk for a second about this manna. One, you have to know that when they said they had manna, they had more than enough manna that they could eat. They were not a starving people. And that's important to note because there is a difference between complaining and then talking about injustice. Those are two fundamentally different things. When we talk about or we moan against injustice in this world, we join all of creation in that. We, we join all of creation saying, God, this isn't how it was supposed to be. When we speak against injustice, that's not complaining. That's recognizing God's doing a work in and through his people. And ultimately, one day, we'll redeem and restore. When we talk about complaining, it's not talking about injustice. When we talk about complaining, it's so often when our expectations don't meet our reality, but God is providing. So God gave them manna every single day. And, and the scripture talks about manna. It literally would come down from heaven every morning. And it would taste like, some scholars write how it tasted like the best or first bit of olive oil, or even when they made it into cakes, it tasted like sweet honey. Th this was not ramen noodles they were forced to eat every day because they were poor in college, you know? My family tells a story, they make fun of me, in college when, you know, I didn't have much money and, and was hungry all the time because I was 19 years old. I was, went to school in Chicago. I came across this pizza on a bridge that only had like two slices missing. And my brother to this day, he's a little germaphobe. I'll lick a bridge. But he, um, <laughs> it was a good pizza. It looked good. Those things are expensive in Chicago. So I found a pizza that wasn't all the way eaten. It was there. Nobody was there to claim it. So guess what I did? I ate it, right? 
because I was in college at the time. My point here is simply, this is not that situation. They had no want for food. Their bellies were full. They had all they need. They just didn't like the kinds of things God was giving them. They went in front of God and they said, this divine food that you made just for us that's dropped down from heaven every single day that the psalm says is the food of angels, this stuff is no longer good enough. What if we had leeks, you know? They no longer saw the graces of God as the graces of God. Complaining robs us from seeing God's graces. I remember a few years back, I, we used to have a sister church in Haiti. And a few years back, I got to go. And, and I've been, you know, all over a lot of parts of the world, lived in Latin America for a little while in Guatemala. Haiti's a different ballgame of poor. I remember going there, and the first night we were there, our team was there, they made us this meal. And it was the first time I'd had goat. Um, wasn't a fan. <laughs> uh, but I'm eating this meal, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, yeah, it's okay, but I don't really want to finish it all. And, and I'm looking at this village that fed us this food. And, and one of our leaders said, this is more food than they'll eat in a week, and they're giving it to you tonight. So quickly, it turned from, I'm getting through this, to God has been gracious to me in ways I don't see. When we complain, we miss the graces of God. And so God calls us not to complain because there's something bigger and richer going on. One author said, to spurn regular occurring abundant and nutritious food only because it's boring is understandably human. It's understandably human, a pitiable mark of our tendency towards ingratitude. Because ultimately what complaining is, is when we have a missed expectation and reality, when those things don't seemingly light up. So, so it starts with the question of what do you deserve? What do you expect is yours? The Israelites thought they deserved much more. <laughs> the Israelites thought they deserved much more than God was giving them. And it comes down to this idea or doctrine or thought that God is good and we don't deserve that much if we see ourselves through the lens of the scriptures, if we see ourselves as not just people that have to put up with the problems in this world, but the causes of the problems in this world. Everything we're given is a grace of God. Every day is a grace as well. And so the people lost that idea. They said, I'm, I'm living into God's ways. I'm marching with God. He's leading me. And they began to, to believe that they deserved more. Expectation is a close cousin of entitlement, and entitlement leads to complaining. I love what one author, pastor said. He said, legalism breeds a sense of entitlement that turns us into complainers. When we think that we've lived into all God's ways, we think we deserve more than we actually do. And it turns into complaining. So part of understanding the role of complaining and why it happens is understanding our expectation in light of who God is and what he's given. Because complaining robs us from seeing God's graces. So two, I think complaining is also toxic. So it says at the very beginning in verse four, now the mixed multitude who were among them craved more desirable foods. And the Israelites wept again. That word mixed multitude there, some versions and translations say the rabble among them. It's, it's, it's a word that we don't see anywhere else in the Hebrew text. And most commentators and scholars have interpreted that to mean there was a number of the Egyptian people, non-Jew people, Egyptian people, who saw all that God did, who saw God wipe out one by one the gods of Egypt with the plagues, who saw this small fraction of slaves overpower the most powerful nation in the world. And they said, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going with them because they seem to be winning here. And so you had some, some Egyptians that actually went with the Israelites when they fled Egypt. 
And so the rabblers, or what my text says here in my version, which is the NET, when it says the mixed multitude, it means the Egyptians that fled with the Jews. But it says, the Egyptians were among those who craved more, desired more, complained. And so the Israelites wept again. So we see that it doesn't just stay with the Egyptians. The Egyptians start complaining, man, I wish I had something else. And it spreads to the Israelites. And this is what we have to know about complaining. It doesn't just rob us of God's graces. It is absolutely toxic to our cultures. Complaining can make us feel like we can connect with someone because we have some mutual dissatisfaction about. Come to this thing tonight at 5.30 and I will talk to you and complain about how the Mavericks lost game seven. I'm a Dallas sports fan. I'm a pessimist, okay? Complaining makes us feel like we have something in common with people, but it's a cheap win. Continued complaining rewires the brain from an article um, in mission.org posted on Medium. It says that it's a phenomenon described as the more you complain about things, the more neurons in your brain stitch themselves together together easily to facilitate this kind of information. Before you know it, complaining becomes so easy for your brain to grasp, you start doing it even without consciously registering the behavior. Here's what we know. Complaining is toxic because complaining spreads. Because it started with the Egyptians and then it went to all the Israelites, and then it went to Moses. So they start complaining about the stuff they don't have, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and then finally Moses hears about it. And if you look towards verse 9, it says this in our text. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And when the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, Moses was also displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant. So the Israelites are complaining, the Egyptians are complaining, and finally Moses starts complaining and says, why have you afflicted me? Think about that. Moses, the leader of these people, has the spirit of God indwelling him, is leading these people, watches the miraculousness of God, was the, the, the conduit of the parting of the Red Sea and all the 10 plagues. Moses says to God, who's provided every single day, why are you afflicting me? And I just want to read some of the next verses together because he launches into this prayer to God. Complaining is toxic, complaining spread, it started with the Egyptians, it went to the Jews, it finally reaches Moses, and Moses gets in his tent before God, and he says these words. Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give me meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. It gets so bad with the people and it starts to spread so much that even Moses says it's not worth it anymore. He can't see the everyday graces of God and he thinks I should just die if this is how I'm going to live. Complaining is not just something that happens. That bo- Complaining is toxic to cultures, and it spreads throughout communities. We are in the life phase right now where my daughter is, is repeating all the things we say, and sometimes, every once in a while, only when it's justified righteous indignation, I'll use all of God's words in my house, okay? Um, and we're in that phase where we have to be really careful because my daughter will repeat it. 
as much as I want to say don't, as much as I want to say, you know, this is a daddy word, all, it will spread and grow. Sometimes we think that I can complain. It's not that big a deal. It's not affecting anybody else. It is. Sometimes we say, I can complain. It's okay. It's just this one time. Nobody will hear it. They do. Sometimes we'll say, I can complain. It's not a big deal. This is just this one-time thing, and, and please don't do what I'm doing. They will. Because even Moses got to the point where complaining was so bad, he starts complaining to God and says, kill me. Complaining is absolutely toxic. It, it reshapes the lenses through which we view reality. And then finally, complaining robs us of the graces of God. Complaining is toxic, but complaining lies to you. You know that? You keep reading in the text. It says, you were whining and the Lord heard. This is verse 18. You were whining and the Lord heard you and cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you'll have it to eat. And it won't be for just a day or two or five or 10 or even 20. You'll eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? They got to a point where they complained so much that in their heads they believed that being enslaved in Egypt was better than being free with God in the wilderness. In their heads, they contorted this idea that I would rather go back to working, back-breaking labor seven days a week, building bricks with no hope of a future than the future God is giving us to as we're walking with him right here and right now. It rewired the history of what happened. It completely lied to them. 80 years before this, all Egyptian kids under two died because the Pharaoh said so. They said, let's go back to that. That's better than manna. Think about that. Complaining absolutely lied to them about what did happen and what is happening now. It's toxic because it rebuilds the realities of how we see our world. It's toxic because it changes how they interacted with each other, with their leadership and with God. It's toxic because it lied to them about what actually is going on. But here's the tragedy is, is, is it like didn't just extend to them. Moses responds and says, the people around me are 600,000 on foot, but you say I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and the herds were slaughtered for them? If all the fish of the sea were caught for them, would that even be enough? So what we're seeing is not only is the Israelite people being lied to about their complaining God says to Moses, I'm going to give them meat for a month. And Moses' response is, God, there's a lot of people out there. And that's a lot of food. And we're in the desert. To 600,000, that's foot soldiers. It's probably more like two to two and a half million people. And there's a small contingent here that is complaining. But even if it's 20 or 30,000 people, meat for a month in the middle of the desert is hard to come by. So it lies to the Israelites about who they were and where they were and how good that was. It lies to Moses about if God can actually protect and provide, and deliver. Moses says, God, that's a big ask. And so God said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word will come true or not. In the biblical text, when we see God being described with human traits or characteristics, it's called an anthropomorphism. 
We don't have words to describe God all the time, so we say things like the arm of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, um, the, the foot. Of, we, we see it all throughout the scriptures. And, and when specifically in the text, especially the Old Testament, we see that phrase, the arm or the hand of the Lord, that always refers to God's ability to provide and his power in which he provides it. What, what Moses is questioning is God's power. And God says, is my power short for you? Am I not good enough or big enough or capable enough to provide anything you might need? Here's the big point. So complaining is bad for us physically. Complaining lies to us. Complaining is toxic. Complaining stops us from seeing God's graces. But ultimately, you know why complaining is bad? And why I think God gets so angered by it? Complaining creates a culture where we can't see God's ability to provide. Complaining tells the wrong story about the God that we serve. It tells the wrong story about God. Complaining tells a story that God isn't good enough when really it's a story about God's overwhelming grace. Complaining tells a story that God isn't powerful enough rather than the story of of God's provision. Complaining tells a story that God isn't bigger than our bondage rather than the story of God's ridiculous rescue from bondage. Complaining tells the wrong story of God and God's anger burns against it because he delivers, because he provides, because he's gracious. And when we complain, We don't see the right story of God. That's why when Paul says in Philippians, do all things without grumbling or complaining, his next verse is that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as a light in the world. He says, don't complain because people will get the wrong picture of the God that you serve. Think about that. Because... I think back then with Israel and right here, right now with us, we live in a world that likes to complain. And as followers of Jesus, when we do that, we're saying God's not big enough, good enough, powerful enough, enough for us. Because here's all the things he hasn't done for me, given me, provided. Complaining tells the wrong story about God's worth and worthiness. And so when Paul tells us when Israel's walking through, they were supposed to be this light in the darkness from the Abrahamic blessing in Genesis 12, they were supposed to, through God's use of them, bless anybody and everybody in the world. They were supposed to bring the light of God into a broken world that utterly needed it. When they complained, they couldn't do that anymore. They missed their entire purpose. And when we complain, (laughs) we miss our purpose too because we tell the wrong story of who God is and what he's doing. And God, in the middle of his grace, in the text, you'll see it if you keep reading, but... God looks at Moses and says, hey, I know that you don't feel like you can lead these people. And this is what happens so often when we complain, God is gracious. And so he, he says, I'm going to raise up 70 people in your camp, and I'm going to fill them with my spirit, and they're going to help you lead. They're going to take some of that burden off of you if it's too much for you. And then, and then to the people, he says, I'm going to give you meat for a month because this is what you wanted, and you wanted to complain. And if you skip down to verse 31, He says, now our wind went out from the Lord and brought quail from the sea and let them fall near the camp about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp. And about three feet high on the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up in that day, all day, all night, and the next day, and they gathered quail. The one who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around camp. So just to, to show you how strong the hand of the Lord is, how great God's ability to provide is, he says, I have gathered quail around you three feet high within a day's journey on all side of you. And the magnitude of the quail is measured in three ways, the breadth of the distribution, the depth of the piles, and the amount of individual collection. 
And so the breadth of the distribution, it's about a day's journey, which is roughly 12 to 14 miles on all side of them, which really, when you think about it, it spreads to an area of more than 400 square miles, stacked three feet high. That's a lot of foul, you know? It's stacked three feet high. Then it says that they gathered, the, the, the least of them gathered 10 homers. 10 homers was the biggest bucket they had to describe dry goods in the Hebrew language. Some people say that it was roughly about 2,200 liters or 36 to 38 bushels full. I don't know what those things are. My Iowa friends and family that are farmers know. They're just concepts to me, right? Point is, it's a lot. And they ate. And then we get into the end of this text, and I want to speak to it for just a second. But um, essentially, what this text does is it shows us that God gives people what they wanted, even though he's trying to give them something better. So at the end of this text, it says, The anger of the Lord burned against them when they ate, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague, and they named the place, um, the, they named the place uh, Kibroth, because that's where they buried the people that craved different food. So you see some death happen at the end. But I think it's really important to understand what's going on and what the scripture is trying to tell us here. So often, what God does, I think, in the Old Testament, especially when we talk about his wrath, is, is he tries and he tries and he tries to give us good things and we push and we push and we push and he finally says, okay, I'll give you what you want. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a people that didn't want God, that didn't want God, that didn't want God. And God finally says, if you don't want me, you're going to get crushed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Philistines, fill in the blank. And so finally he says, fine, I'll leave. I will remove my hedge of protection, my mercy around you, but it's going to hurt you. And so in our text here, it says that these guys gathered more quail than they could possibly eat. They dried it out, and they just indulged themselves. A, a people that hadn't eaten meat in over a year because they'd been eating manna. Think about that. And so I choose to interpret this text and, and say that God lets them die from their own craving. I had a buddy of mine whose dad, when I was in middle school, he did a 40-day fast because he really loves the Lord. And I'll never forget this. He broke the 40-day fast because I guess nobody had trained him. I've had a couple friends do it since then. I have not even tried. Uh, but a couple friends do it since then. And you have to break a fast in a certain way. Like the first week you add lettuce, you know. <laughs> and the next week, like throw in a tomato. Don't get too dangerous. Uh, because your body is acclimated to eating again. This guy, a friend of mine, his dad, he broke his 40-day fast with a Mexican feast. And that feast almost broke him, if you know what I'm talking about. My point is simply, the text is implying here that these people died because they couldn't control their own cravings. The word cravings that's used here and in verse 4 above is the same word used to describe Eve's craving, craving for the apple. That's why in James, the writer says that here's what sin does. You desire something and you can't stop. And you desire it even more and you can't stop. And soon that desire overwhelms you until finally it kills you. God says don't. And so in our text, what we see is that we need to be serious about complaining in our camp because it will kill our communities and our culture, and it'll kill the ability of us to tell the right story of a God who's gracious, provides, protects, redeems, restores. So why does God hate complaining? <laughs> Not just because it's killing you, because it's killing the story of who he is in our communities. And we're called to be different. We're called to be above it. We're called to be better because God is. So when we talk about what complaining looks like in our culture, I think the antithesis of complaining is gratefulness. It stops it right in its tracks. And I, like you, so often complain without realizing it or knowing it. I was reading a book this week uh, 
by a, a woman named Kaya Roman, and, and she wrote a book called The Joy Plan, How I Took 30 Days to Stop Worrying, Quit Complaining, and Find Ridiculous Happiness. A little bit oversold there, but I'm on board, you know? Uh, and she does this thing called the ABC game. So she lays down in bed at night, and she says, I go through the alphabet before bed, and for every letter of the alphabet, I find something to be grateful to God for, you know? I think that'd be a great exercise to do every day this week. I think sit down with your family, make a list, and every time you feel the need to complain, stop and say, you know what, I'm going to instead speak gratefulness over this situation. Just this morning, as we're talking about what to do with our barbecue feast this afternoon, somebody said, can you believe that it's raining again? Why does God hate us, right? And it was a joke, but I would say, hey, look, man, I'm going to look at this and say, why does that thorn bush have roses on it? And can you believe that it's raining in June is Texas? Why does God love us so much at this point, you know? Because that's not going to happen again, and it hasn't happened much in my lifetime. We meet and beat complaining with gratefulness. Find a way to be grateful this week. Sit there and write it down. Two, uh, if you're watching online in the chats, we're going to drop a link into a prayer. It's a pastor in Tennessee, and, and he wrote a prayer of, of gratefulness to stop complaining. And so maybe this week, every morning you get up, or every night when you go to bed, you just read that, and you pray that out loud. And it, it, it might it, like complaining, spreads. Cultivate a culture of gratefulness that spreads as well. Because here's what I know. Complaining's easy. Complaining's cultural. Complaining doesn't tell the right story of who God is. And we are called to be a people that doesn't do it so that people see Jesus. <laughs> and so it's not just a little deal. It's not just a small thing. Literally every time we complain, we're telling people the wrong story of the God that we follow. And we're called in our current cultural moment to sit down and tell people God is good. And that's what the world needs, man. That's what my communities need. That's what my family needs. It's a constant reminder, not of the things I can complain about, but the goodness of God. A constant reminder that he provides, he protects, he restores. And every time we complain, we send the wrong message out about who God is. And so may we be a people that the world needs, that don't complain not just because it's not good, but that don't complain because it's not the right story about the God who is good. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful. I am so grateful just to be here in the rain, in the shine, in whatever the weather is outside. I'm thankful that we get to serve a God who is good. I'm thankful that as I stop complaining, I begin to once again see your everyday graces. I'm grateful that you've called us above complaining so that we can be a people that point to who you are and how good you are. God, give us wisdom this week, today and tomorrow as we find those places that we naturally complain and give us the ability, Holy Spirit, give us the power to stop it. May we be a people of gratefulness and gratitude so that people see the goodness of God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.